I have got to tell you something about Antonio Banderas. <laughs> so you know how I love the challenge on MTV, the real uh-huh. world, Road yeah. Rose Challenge. They actually truly don't do a lot of like uh, product placement. Like, they don't do that much. Like maybe once a season they'll do like a, and it's usually with a movie. So they have one with the Puss in Boots movie. Fine. Okay. But then they actually have Antonio Banderas film a segment. I'm like, who the fuck is Antonio Banderas's agent that told him he had to sit down? That's Antonio Banderas on MTV's The Challenge to be like, hey, challengers, and my new movie, Puss in Boots. I'm like, what (laughs) is happening? I love this show. I love this show. I've watched it for years. I will probably watch it until it or I die. But I, (laughs) why? Is Antonio Banderas on the challenge? Why? I demand an explanation. Hey, I'm Paul. And I'm Erica. And this is That Aged Well. Yesterday's pop culture today. Long movie February. Paul, on these cold dark months yeah there's nothing i want to do more than sit on the couch and watch a four hour <laughs> epic like like something directed by a, a racist in the 50s uh-huh. about an african queen i'm looking at you cleopatra oh, okay yeah just sitting there and like letting it all letting the pageantry yep. just, wash over me just dive in this is also like a, a really way for us to sneakily get like two episodes out of one movie to try to give ourselves a little bit of a break <laughs> <laughs> that that too that, that too, too. That, but keep that on the down low that's yeah. a secret listeners but don't you love a long movie every once in a while i don't know about you uh, you know i just watched rrr it's like three hours long and it is it is so entertaining they shouldn't have cut anything. If anything, it should be four hours of more <laughs> insanity. <laughs> so yeah, I have to be in the right mood for it, and I have to like the movie. Oh, yeah. It can't be – like, there's some boring ones. But, like, yeah. you know what I can watch a hundred times and never get sick of is the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Literally everything I know about the Bible mm-hmm. comes from, like, many viewings of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and that's how you're so good at Jeopardy. Thank you, Ten Commandments. But, yeah, I know that book. Whatever that – I think <laughs> – that's Genesis, I guess, right? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Exodus, whatever that is. Anyway, I know that book really, really well. <laughs> thanks to Charlton Heston, yep. Anne Baxter, and Yule Brenner. Okay. Like, th- thank you. You have done an, an incredible service to the world. <laughs> or at least to you. <laughs> uh, Erica, before we get into today's epic movie, we do have a five-star iTunes review. Shall I read? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is from Heart Jaden. And Hart Jaden writes, abducted by evil Squidward. I came across this podcast on July 4th with the appropriate episode being Independence Day, which is one of my favorite ridiculous movies that I have seen half a million times and may have had the VHS when I was a child. I was also inspired to rewatch Adventures in Babysitting when I saw there was an episode for that. Don't think I'd seen that in a long time, which might explain why I didn't realize how inappropriate it is. How many (laughs) times can you mention Playboy in a seemingly family movie before it shouldn't be watched by children? (laughs) (laughs) good questions all yeah anywho i agree that the love interest in that movie should have been joe and i'm completely obsessed with paul and erica and have literally been listening to them for most of the last week i am obsessed Woo! thank you thank you i'm really happy to learn that that whole like releasing independence day on independence day like did actually work that was like (laughs) we were like seo seo (laughs) 
See, Paul, now now when I when I tell when I say let's do Ferngully on Arbor Day, you won't be so Yeah, I, I would turn my nose up at it. Yeah, yeah. You won't be like, that's a little too niche, bitch. <laughs> when we say do JFK on President's Day, we do JFK on President's Day. <laughs> Uh, so, Hart Jaden, thank you so much for this review. We adore it. We love it. Uh, if you would like a That Age Well tote bag, all you have to do, send me an email, well at gmail.com. Contact us on Twitter. Contact us on Instagram. We'll send it off for you right away, Erica. What movie are we doing part one of today? Today's film mm. is the epic romance disaster film from 1997 called Titanic. <laughs> Titanic. Titanic. I believe it's pronounced Titanic. 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 <laughs> it's like Titanic. Look, we put out the call on social media for long movies and we we listened. There there was an there much, was a flood. Much like the Carpathia, we listened and came to your rescue. <laughs> Titanic was requested by Rob, by L, by two different Sarahs, by Michelle, by Naressa, by Kimberly, by Darcy, by Phil, by Erica, by Matt, by some people whose names I could not determine from their social media profiles. So you're out there too. <laughs> Everyone said, long movie, Titanic, you gotta do it. Were they wrong, Paul? They were not. They were not. They were not. They were not. Titanic was written and directed by James Cameron. Cameron, yes, Cameron. I believe that's how it's pronounced. It stars Kate Winslet, Leonardo DiCaprio, Billy Zane, Kathy Bates, Francis Fisher, Gloria Stewart, and Bill Paxton. Titanic tied all about Eve for the most Oscar nominations for a single film with 14 nominations. Okay. Basically the same movie. I yeah, totally get it. Right, right in line. And tied Ben Hur for the most wins ever with 11 Oscars. Actually, now that is almost the same movie, so that makes some sense. <laughs> Including Best Picture and Best Director. But no acting wins. Okay, look, we're going to talk a lot about the acting in uh -huh. this film later. Here's a category that I've said before needs to exist and does not, and that is actors who make horrible dialogue work. Yeah. Like actors who turn trash into treasure. The best performance in a terrible movie... And for this film, Leonardo DiCaprio deserves 17 <laughs> Oscars. Because if you dissect the dialogue that that man has, has been told he has to say and make sound normal, uh -huh. he does an insanely good job. There's also a couple scenes where I'd be like, oh, this almost sounds good. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, that was improvised. Like everything, <laughs> like the scene where he teaches her how to spit was apparently like almost all improvised. And like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this seems like a little more natural. <laughs> Uh -huh. Seems like yeah. how people talk. <laughs> yeah. With a best supporting actor to Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Fucking takes the nothingest part in this movie yeah. and just makes it sick. He just makes it work through eyebrows and guy liner. There is that, that eye line. Oh my goodness. He makes it work through sex appeal alone. My sneering mascara king, Billy Zane. <laughs> the mustache twirling villain that is Billy Zane in this movie. Anyway, that's that's my take on it. There are some truly hideous performances, which we will also get to. <laughs> it's a three-hour movie. It's gonna it's gonna cover a lot of bases. It's gonna run the gamut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Titanic was the most expensive movie ever made for ten years, adjusted for inflation, until Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. What's with that? boat movies? Boat movies. Water is costly. 
cost a shit ton yeah. of money is yeah. what we're learning here. It was the highest grossing film of all time, not adjusted for inflation, until 2010's Avatar. Okay. Look, James Cameron, well done, I yeah. guess, right? Congratulations. You you make Hershey's chocolate in a world that... <laughs> that loves Hershey's chocolate. That loves Hershey's chocolate. What can we say? I don't know that this is Hershey's chocolate. I think this might be Cadbury eggs. No, because people don't love Cadbury eggs the way they love James Cameron. <laughs> Other directors are making lint truffles. Yeah. <laughs> he's making Hershey kisses. And he knows it. I don't think and- he thinks he's not... <laughs> No, he, he definitely he's doesn't. He's making Easter peeps year-round. He's like, this is just <laughs> sugar molded into a vaguely humanoid shape <laughs> to create the most base emotions in the largest amount in the audience. Ooh, we Okay, so little tiny bit of background information on our process for this episode is we split the movie in half when we were doing the recap. Uh-huh. Paul took the first half, I took the second half. So I took everything once the ship starts sinking. <laughs> And can I tell you the vastly different like perspectives on this movie we both have now because of it? Because I got the good half of the movie. <laughs> it's true. Paul's like, this movie sucks. And I'm like, and I'm like, did you know that chef guy was real? Did you know I spent 40 hours this week reading about the Titanic? <laughs> Oh, God. Erica, Titanic has an 87% critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 69% audience score. It has a 76% critical rating on Cherry Picks. This is a tricky one. It is. Like, the dialogue and the script are terrible. They're awful. But it also has, like, it's it's undeniably watchable and it's yeah. undeniably epic. I mean, the, the, the attention to detail... And the the scope of it all and how like he got these incredible actors to participate in this. Yeah. I kind of love this movie. Okay. Like, I don't like it that much. But, but you I love it. it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Like yeah. it's hard to describe. Like I don't know if I'm gonna sit down and watch it again. But like Well, you gotta the, find three hours. That's easy. That's no, hard. You gotta find, yeah, you gotta <laughs> find three fucking hours. But the experience of watching it, you do kind of like if you sit down and give yourself the three hours, you mm-hmm. kind of get swept away in it. No, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can get swept um, in the undertow. You yeah. can kind of get sucked through a porthole. You get sucked you, you get hit by a funnel, R.I.P. Fabrizio. <laughs> that sucking through the porthole ruined glory holes for me. It was <laughs> Uh, no, I I understand what you mean because I, I I'll be honest I I went in and, and I and I kind of had my my claws out for it I was like this is gonna be fun to tear to shreds but like it did it does kind of get you even like cynical jaded me who was ready to hate it I'm like I don't hate this this is not hateable it, it's it's so it's almost like hating like Cinderella like it's, it's like a baseline everyone's a trope. No one has a an ounce of depth to it except the ocean. And <laughs> and it's it's kind of like uh like a fable or something. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Here's the only like here's the major problem with that unfortunately is that I think the movie does a huge disservice to the crew of the Titanic. Oh, okay. Who are actually real people 
and really died most for the most part on the ship. And the movie makes a lot of them look like goony face thugs. Yeah. But I started like Googling, like pretty much anyone who's named mm-hmm. in the movie is a real person. Oh, wow. And that's not like Cal and Rose and, and Jack, but yeah. everyone else is pretty much a real person. And it's just kind of like, you can't be that glib when you're talking about real people. Who died and- in a horrible way. Yeah, who died in this in this disaster that they were unprepared for. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so that's my one kind of like, I'm going to take it down a notch and be very serious for a moment. Like, I feel like the movie does a tremendous disservice to the crew of the Titanic. All right. That's the only kind of huge ding I have on it. Other than that, like, yeah, the writing is stupid. Well, at this <laughs> point, too, you're going to a James Cameron movie. You know, you know, it's like it's going to be a technical marvel. Exactly. With with a script written by a seventh grader. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. You know, what I really feel bad for is Bill Paxton, who tried and failed. Man, he, he, he hitched his wagon to that star and he did well with it. But he's but always... In this movie, I'm like, oh, no, man, Bill Paxton, maybe you shouldn't have answered this phone call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, Erica, when did you first see Titanic? Paul, I saw it in the theater. All right. Not once, uh, but twice. Wow. Yeah, I saw it once with my friends, and then I told my mom, we got to see this movie, and I saw it again with my mother. So I've seen it twice. Then uh, I mentioned this, I think, last week, too. Uh, remember NYU had that channel that like showed yeah. the same mm-hmm. three movies over and over again? Our freshman year, Titanic was one of those movies. Okay. And that was the first time I realized how hilarious it is because my roommate Meg and I would watch the movie and make fun of it. <laughs> and like we wouldn't watch the whole thing because who has that kind of time? But whenever yeah. we turned it on, if it was during like the, the part with all the like Irish people down below, we'd be like, <laughs> we'd be like, Meg, by the way, is Irish, so this is allowed. Uh-huh. Um, we would just rip into it. <laughs> you were even back then. You were podcasting. Basically, we were like, "This is garbage." Uh, and then since that era, I have not seen this movie. So this, okay. this is like the first time I've seen the whole thing, all the way through since like 1998. Okay. How about you, Paul? When did you first see Titanic? I saw Titanic in the theater. With some of my high school friends. I it was required viewing, man. And let me tell you something. I, I resisted because I was like, I don't want to go see that. And I'm not interested. I don't think I saw it until like, I think it came out in like December and then it was in theaters for like six months. Mm-hmm. I want to say I saw it in like May. Like I was, I was not wanting to see it. I finally went. I don't remember having much of a reaction to it. Really? Honestly, I remember being like, okay, fine. Like it, this is just a personal thing for me. I tend to not be swept up tech by the technical achievements of things like like mm-hmm. like which isn't fair to everyone who works incredibly hard on on that aspect of the film like i i don't mean to discount what all of those people do but like if someone's like the cgi and this is bad i'm like i don't really give a shit like is is the story good i don't care if you know the hulk doesn't look real because guess what the hulk's not fucking real like i'm not going to waste my time on this <laughs> that's not true paul don't say that <laughs> How could you? How could you? Bruce Banner is real. So I think I'm just like, I, I'm not the target audience for these James Cameron masterpieces because I, I, I will say, wow, that's a great job technically. And I will not become emotionally attached to a technical achievement. Mm-hmm. I do think that Kate Winslet, I know you've already sang the praise of Leonardo DiCaprio as he deserves, but Kate Winslet is able to make a, stock character of perhaps the most annoying (laughs) 
<laughs> like stripe of a stock of a stock character and make her someone that you actually root for and i realized this time watching it that she really is the hero of the movie she is the action hero of the movie even more than jack is and i and i i really appreciated that actually that 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 she gets to make choices in this movie like she she makes more choices than jack does even she chooses yeah. again and again and again and i and i really appreciated that and and I and I thought that was fun. I have to say that is one thing that James Cameron does fairly consistently that mm-hmm. I appreciate in his work. If you think about the w- other ones we've covered on this show, which are True Lies with Jamie Lee Curtis having yeah. that like crazy great role, and Terminator Two with Sarah Connor being like such a badass, like he does make room for women to be interesting in his films. Yeah, I, he is by no means a like feminist icon. Don't get me. <laughs> Please don't misread me on that. I'm just saying. No, that- no, Erica. We all heard it. you said that James Cameron should be the next president of now we all heard it yeah yeah james can't move over Gloria Steinem. james, james cameron's gonna, gonna relaunch ms magazine <laughs> <laughs> but he for of all these action guys he has the tendency and he he did it before it was like yeah required my only the only reason i singled out leonardo dicaprio is because rose doesn't have as quite as many stupid fucking lines as jack does it's true yeah. Jack has to say some things that just make me want to die when I think about that script. <laughs> well, well, Rose also has an arc and Jack yeah. does not. Jack arrives as a perfect little angel baby <laughs> and <laughs> and departs as a perfect little angel baby icicle. Like that. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Erica, the tagline for Titanic was nothing on earth could come between them. Except an ocean. Is an ocean. Yeah. What are we talking about? The unsinkable Jack and Rose. Come on. What the fuck? Do I have to do everything? (laughs) How many hands do I have to hold here, people? (laughs) Uh, Erica, Erica, why don't you read the iTunes synopsis? Experience. Academy Award winning director James Cameron's epic masterpiece Titanic. Like never before. Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet shine in this unforgettable love story born of tragedy that became a worldwide phenomenon. Take the journey and discover why critics declare Titanic, quote, a magnificent motion picture that remains spellbinding. Roger Ebert. (laughs) I wonder when he wrote that. (laughs) Like, look, Roger Ebert was a populist. Yeah, yeah. Erica, do you have an actual synopsis for for Titanic? Come for the epic disaster film. Stay for the epically terrible accent work. <laughs> they had to they had to make the accents big so we knew that they weren't American. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mission accomplished. <laughs> we got it. There were Irish, there were Russians, there were Slovakians, there were Italians. We got it. There were all these people around the boat. There were Swedes. Paul, I see the Statue of Liberty from here. <laughs> it's a salt, it's small. Meatball. Hey, look at the water coming into the boat. <laughs> all right, stick around. We're going to come right back. We're going to take you through the first half of Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. second that did sound like ariel's area from the little mermaid when ursula <laughs> takes it <laughs> no that was a perfect selena that was that was a tin whistle if i've <laughs> ever heard one <laughs> and we're back all right we open with old footage of the actual titanic leaving the dock or at least erica i assume that's what it is who the hell actually knows it's definitely what it's meant to be we shift to the ocean at night, and we go underwater to some kind of diving submarine explorer thingy that's deep under the ocean, and we meet Brock Lovett. Already on the names, check <laughs> I'm gonna. This movie does one thing well, and that's naming its characters. <laughs> I thought Brock Lovett was going to be my number one draft pick for the Sesame Plexer Insane Name Hall of Fame. <laughs> as soon as I, but no, there, there is someone that comes in and and crushes Brock Lovett beneath their toe. (laughs) (laughs) Brock Lovett, played by Bill Paxton, and Brock mutters, they should see it soon, and then a shipwreck comes into view from the murky ocean depths. Brock is bloviating into this video camera that he's holding on himself as he films the wreck until one of his crew members points out, you're full of shit, and Brock snickers. Let's not have any type of respect for what we're doing here. Let's just immediately shit on the Titanic from the beginning. (laughs) It'd be awesome if this was the wrong ship. What if they got there like, this is the Lusitania? (laughs) God damn it. It's like an old tiny pirate ship. They're like, this isn't even a cruise liner. What are you doing? So Brock puts away his recorder and he directs his crew to send out an exploration camera thingy, which they call Duncan, right? So Duncan lights our journey through the wreck of the Titanic, and then Brock calls Duncan Snoop Dogg. And Erica, I don't know how I'm confused already about the name of a camera. We are 90 (laughs) seconds into this movie, and they have called this camera two different things. (laughs) This is bad writing. Eventually, Snoop Duncan makes its way into a bedroom, (laughs) and 
Brock gloats that's Hockley's bed. That's you know, but he's gloating in that like very faint Southern Texan drawl that like Bill Paxton and Matthew McConaughey do. Uh-huh. That's where the son of a bitch slept. Like, I can't do it well because I always go too big. It's very, very, very light. It's very sexy. It is. <laughs> they are fighting against Bill Paxton being sexy. I, let's talk about it right now. I have I have a note about it later. Let's talk about it now. What was the hair choice with Bill Paxton? <laughs> I Because you have to remember, this is a man who's been at sea for like six months, sure, right? Sure, sure. So they ha- he had to look disheveled, but also still... He really does look like Matt. Like Matthew McConaughey could have done this part just fine. Like walked on set already looking like this. He's doing that thing where he's just like a beach bum. Yeah. He's been like hanging out by the ocean just all bumming time. around in the Alaska, in the <laughs> North Atlantic. But he's also got a deep tan yeah. because he's clearly been in the sun too long. It's everything about this. Uh-huh. It's absurd. So Brock directs Snoop Duncan to move this broken wardrobe door to see what's underneath and <gasps> Erica, it's a locked chest. Brock grins and draws. It's payday, boys. <laughs> feels feels a little premature to me. Feels premature, feels a little uh grave robbery to me. A little bit. I don't care for that, but what you know what? Yep. Let's keep moving. Let's keep, keep going, moving. keep going. I will say this for the movie. It does at least acknowledge that a teeny tiny bit. <laughs> Yes, it does. And 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 at the end, yeah. when they finally give Bill Paxton a moment to like emote, <laughs> and he's like, I never understood how bad the Titanic was. People like, died on the Titanic, man. That's really harsh in my buzz. Oh, damn. 1,500 people died right where I'm standing? That sucks. Ooh, that don't feel good. <laughs> We cut topside as the chest is brought on deck. The crew is celebrating. They're cracking open champagne. They are just getting ready for their big old payday. Instead, when they open it, dirty water and ruined papers slop out. Yeah, I I was surprised there was any remnant of it left. I was too. I was yeah the I. Look, I don't I I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a deep deep sea explorer. Okay, Um, well I'm glad you know I am. And, okay, and, cool. and <laughs> so I'm not sure of the physics of all of this, yeah. but I, I sure I may, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there is a joke here that I absolutely love, and that it's one of the crew members goes, "Same thing happened to Geraldo, man. It ruined his career." <laughs> That's for the '80s babies who yeah. remember the moment that Geraldo cracked open that safe and nothing was in it <laughs> on national TV. <laughs> So Brock is disappointed. He gets on the phone with his bosses. They're disappointed he hasn't found it. It. What is he looking for? The what Titanic. Is it? What is it? He's not looking for bones or the remnants of the people who died. No, nope, no DNA testing <laughs> happening here. No, no helping people with their ancestry. Nope. He assures them he's close and there are plenty of other places the necklace could be. <gasps> As he like does his little tap dance for them in that sexy Bill Paxton kind yeah. of way, a worker sprays ocean sludge off of a portrait of a naked woman wearing a large and Paul, as Paul writes here, let's just say it, extremely gaudy jeweled heart necklace. It's not as ugly as the heart necklace from Love Actually, but it's like, it, it is a necklace that actually chews the scenery. It like forces you to look at it. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. It is bigger than the Hope Diamond, according yep. to the film. It's the Gilded Age, man. It's, yeah. like China, it's like Chinatown. Forget it, Jake. It's the Gilded Age. Like, <laughs> it's all going to be gaudy. <laughs> 
Brock sees the drawing and he tells his bosses he might actually have something. He looks at the portrait and it's dated April 14th, 1912, and it's initialed JD. And Brock goes, I'll be goddamned. Mm. <laughs> we cut to a pottery studio. Oh, my love. No, it would be awesome if they just started piping if, that if in. they had Gloria Stewart making pottery and some hot guy walk up behind her. <laughs> Not some hot guy, Erica. Patrick Swayze himself. Actually, Patrick Swayze <laughs> come up behind her and help her make the pottery. We meet Rose Calvert, played by Gloria Stewart. She's an elderly woman. We will find out later she is actually 100 years old. Mm-hmm. She's working the wheel. If I make it to 100... And I can still successfully work a pottery wheel. I mean... Parades. Parades. I expect to be celebrated. This woman has a great life. Yeah. She seems fine. She seems to have all her faculties. Her granddaughter seems extremely lovely and patient with her. Yeah. I've been spending a lot of time with my elderly grandfather uh, the last couple months, and none of us have any patience with him. (laughs) And you're striving to be like Lizzie. (laughs) So so Rose works the wheel. Her granddaughter Lizzie is like keeping house behind her. And uh, Rose overhears a TV news interview with quote unquote treasure hunter Brock Lovett. Erica, I want to know... How does one become a treasure hunter? What is the career path? Do you have to apprentice with a master treasure hunter? Are you become a journeyman treasure hunter? I think it's like an influencer. You just become it. <laughs> you just start. If you're if you're hunting for treasure, you are a treasure hunter. Yeah, fake it till you make it, Brock. Love it. <laughs> she hobbles out to the TV. She she sees the portrait and she says, "Well, I'll be goddamned, Erica. I don't know if you know the word for it. That is a callback." <laughs> To something that happened, and this is not an exaggeration, 45 seconds prior in the movie. (laughs) Back on Brock's boat, he gets a phone call from elderly Rose. He's annoyed at being interrupted. They are so mean to this lady they've never met. They're like, it's an old lady on the phone. And he's like, ugh, (laughs) I hate old women. (laughs) They're so shrill. They're nothing for me. And then like throughout the rest of this conversation, the number two guy, I never learned his name. Uh The the guy who clearly they meant for Philip Seymour Hoffman to play, but by now Philip Seymour Hoffman's too too famous to do Uh this, was like, Some broads on the phone for you. (laughs) He gets on the phone and he's like, what? And she's like, have you found the heart of the ocean yet? And this gets Brock's attention. He's like, how do you know? How do you know about it? And he asks if she knows who the woman in the picture is. And she says, oh, yes, that woman in the picture is moi. Gasp. (laughs) Pearl clutch. Despite his right-hand man skepticism, okay, this is, again, this guy who's like, this broad was an actress. Her maiden name was Dawson. She's 100 years old. You can't trust old women. (laughs) Old women are the worst. Brock is convinced that Rose knows something. Something about their four-second conversation convinced him this lady's the real deal. It's literally that she knows that the heart of the ocean exists, that she knows that that's its name. And uh-huh. then it's there. That that it, I will give the movie the credit that that is supposed to be like high level information. How? How? It's well, a well. very famous diamond that we're going to find <laughs> out later belonged to Louis the Seventeenth or Sixteenth. <laughs> Louis the Sixteenth. Like people know about shit that belonged to Louis the Sixteenth. 
I'm just saying that's what the movie would like us to think. Okay. I don't know. I don't know how Brock thinks he's going to get away with like strangers keepers. Mine now. A, that no way that diamond was mined in any kind of good way. No. (laughs) So whatever country it originates from, that's who should get it. But even before you get to that minefield, the fucking French government might have something to say about this. (laughs) So anyway... Uh, Rose, Lizzie, uh, Rose's little lapdog, and Rose's fishbowl with three little goldfish are all helicoptered directly to Brock. Okay, I only put, they made such a, they, there's a whole insert shot with the fishbowl. And they made it, I just thought it was, I thought it mattered. The fishbowl does not matter. Maybe, so she has a thing with the ocean and with, maybe because of her trauma, she like feels like she has to be close to the ocean yeah. at all times. I don't know. Also, kudos to her for being brave enough to go back to the spot where the oh, tank yeah. tank. You best believe if I'm in the middle of a fucking disaster, I'm not going back. No, no, no. That place already tried to kill me once. Yeah. Kill me once, shame on you. Kill me twice, shame on me. <laughs> Rose who the movie wants us to think seems a bit dotty. She's like putting all of her pictures out in her cabin and she's saying she can't leave without her. She can't go anywhere without her pictures. I again would like to state that if I hit a hundred and have any kind of mental faculty left, <laughs> I, I a little bit dotty. You can all go fuck yourselves. If you have an issue with that. <laughs> she asks to see her portrait. She gazes at it while Brock explains that Louis the Sixteenth wore a stone called the Blue Diamond of the Crown that was lost in 1792 when the king was uh, got a harsh shave from the neck up. Uh-huh. His diamond was cut into the necklace, and the necklace is called the Heart of the Ocean, which today would be worth more than the Hope Diamond. Rose says it was a dreadful heavy thing. She only wore it that one time. Liar. Liar. She wears it twice in the movie. Lies. <laughs> Also, also, you telling me, look, spoiler, but we've all seen this movie. You yeah. had this thing in your possession for uh-huh. 80 years. You didn't just wear it around the house. Just once. Bullshit. You <laughs> definitely wore it around the house. <laughs> There's no way that you, well, I guess you know, he doesn't have a penis, so I guess you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Brock explains that an insurance claim for the heart of the ocean was filed after the sinking of the Titanic. Do you know who the claimant would be? And Rose, without hesitation, says, eh, someone named Hockley, which further convinces Brock that she's not lying. Okay, this woman definitely knows the history of this necklace. Yeah, other people who would have claims to the necklace before Brock, (laughs) the fucking Hockley family. I Uh forgot about that. They actually own this thing. (laughs) Brock shows her some of the items they recovered from her stateroom, and Rose is moved as she sees these, like, relics of her past, right? There's a sweet moment with, like, a hand mirror that I... Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm not made of stone, Paul. No. There is one part of this movie. It, it's later on in my half of the recap. So it's next week's episode where I wept like a fucking baby. <laughs> wow. Wow. I never cried during this. <laughs> oh, no. There is a moment where I had to stop the movie because I was so choked. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So Romy and Michelle makes me cry, but Titanic makes you cry. Okay, you know what? Because I can't wait until next week to tell you. I'll just tell you now. Those musicians. I oh, can't yeah. I can't with the Titanic musicians. I will I lose my mind. Okay, back to the movie. So after she looks through her things and she's like touched by her her like stuff from when she was a teenager, the movie makes the bold decision <laughs> to show all of us, and it's meant for us, yep. a computer reenactment of the Titanic sinking, right? And like how it happened and like, which is extremely useful and helpful because later on when you watch the movie, you know what you're waiting. Like, you're like, oh no, I know. Now I know this fucking thing's going to split in half, halfway through the night. You're like waiting for it. 
why, Paul, do they show this to this old, old woman <laughs> in what was likely the most terrifying and traumatic experience of her entire life? Like she wasn't there. <laughs> 1997 but- said, fuck trigger warnings. Fuck your trauma. <laughs> let me let me just display this terrif- like tr- something that probably haunted your nightmares for the next 84 years of your life. <laughs> Yeah, something you still see when you close your eyes at night. Yeah. Let me show you an exact mathematical reenactment yeah. of what happened. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Brock asks if she'll share her story with them, and they all gather around her like she's yeah. an elder in a fucking tribe. Rose is overcome with emotion, and she decides to tell them, it's been 84 <laughs> years. Rose is played by Catherine Hepburn in my version of the that- story. Oh, I want okay. All of Old Rose's lines will now be performed by <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. She brought it up, not me. Everyone, mark it down in your calendars. <laughs> <laughs> so, Erica, we flash back to 1912 to Southampton, England, as the ship of dreams sits on the dock awaiting its maiden voyage. Everyone, this huge crowd, people are getting onto the ship. Everyone is fascinated by it. A car arrives and makes its way up and eventually discharges 17-year-old Rose DeWitt Bucator, played by Kate Winslet. Excellent. Excellent. And so beautiful. Yeah. She's, like, hard to look at. She's so beautiful. Also, Uh if if I could have this hairstyle for the rest of my life, I would be a happy woman. Uh, Her widowed mother, Ruth, played by Frances Fisher, Mm -hmm. and her 30-year-old fiancé, Cal Hockley, played by Billy Zane, who's the heir to a Pittsburgh steel fortune and, I presume, some sort of eyeliner empire. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Billy Zane, I just recently read an interview with him Mm because Vulture did a thing about Titanic uh, for its anniversary, and they they interviewed him. Swears up and down he was not wearing eyeliner during this film. (sighs) Swears it. He has. He doesn't say he's not wearing a toupee. But he definitely <laughs> not wearing eyeliner, according to him. I will. I will believe his truth, and I will also hold my truth. I have alternative facts on this. <laughs> because uh, honestly, frankly, I want him to be wearing eyeliner. I don't want him to be able to look like that without the help of makeup. He has it's not fair. perfect fluttering eyelashes. He's uh-huh. so pretty. He- I'm going to say it right now, Paul. I find Cal far more attractive than I find Jack. I have never found Leonardo DiCaprio sexually attractive in my entire life. He had five minutes around the time of The Departed where he was very hot. And then it, 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 before that too young, after that too, I don't know what, but fucking Billy Zane in this movie, he's so hot to the point where I'm like, look, I get that he sucks. Yeah. He's rich and hot and stupid you can make this marriage work rose absolutely really wanted to well also billy zane looks like a an extremely like primped gay man yep and and jack looks like an extremely primped gay woman like a soft butch (laughs) (laughs) between the two of them you have the perfect man yeah exactly uh, okay, so we hear old Rose, Rose in voiceover, and she says that to everyone else, Titanic was the ship of dreams, but to her, it was a slave ship. Okay, I don't know that that metaphor would pass no, no. muster today. Keep going, keep going with the line. It was a slave ship doing what, Paul? Taking her back to America in chains. Okay, 
James Cameron, words matter. Sir. And look, was Rose's situation kind of shitty? Sure. Absolutely. Like, would her struggles be equivalent to those people who were um, taken from their homelands on slave ships and taken across the ocean and, like, deposited across the... Like, no. So words fucking matter. Don't say shit like that. What's wrong with you? These are false equivalencies. (laughs) Oh, my God. Just be like, it was a ship of dreams, but to me, it was a ship of nightmares. Like, how... Like, that even makes more sense. Done. <laughs> Outside Erica, Rose was everything a good girl should be. Inside, she was screaming. <laughs> we cut to a local bar where Jack Dawson, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who Paul does not find attractive, nope. and his friend... Okay, you wrote here Fabrizio, uh-huh. played by Danny Nucci, but in my recap, I refer to him as Arancini Chianti. <laughs> Arancini Chianti, you got I, it. I just want you to know that for, for the second half of the movie, he is Arancini Chianti. And, and because I care about this character exactly as much as James Cameron cares about this character, yeah. these broad, giant ethnic stereotypes <laughs> that are in this movie are absurd. <laughs> We can christen him Arancini Chianti right now. I'm fine with that. Love yeah, it. W- yeah. So the, so Jack and Arancini are in the midst of a poker game with a pair of Swedes. In my mind, I call them Ikea number one and Ikea number two. <laughs> Perfect. Fabrizio says, Mamma mia, Gianni, you better be. <laughs> Does he actually say this? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought this was real. <laughs> Paul writes here. Paul writes here. Fabrizio says, "Mamma mia, Gianni, you are better all a lira." Uh, it's a good try, but Erica, it's more like it's more like, "Mamma mia, Gianni, you are better all a lira." You also, you guys, this this medium, you need to see us because we are doing the most right now with our hands. There's a lot of hand gestures. These hand gestures are offensive. <laughs> Jack says, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose, because he loves Janice Joplin. <laughs> Freedom's just another word for nothing, nothing left, left to lose. <laughs> nothing. And that's all that Janet left me. <laughs> what if what if what if Anancini sang? <laughs> oh, I can't even do it. <laughs> hey, hey Mambo, I would die on the Titanic. Hey Mambo. <laughs> Ooh, we apologize to any Italian listeners we have left. I don't. Um, I'm Italian. Which I don't I care. Is, which I think is now a zero. <laughs> Aniente. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ikea number one scolds Ikea number two that he can't believe that he bet their tickets on the Titanic on this card game. So, okay, we're making a lot of fun. Long story short, they're playing cards. Jack wins two tickets to the Titanic. Yeah. Uh, so he and Arancini win a trip to America. <laughs> I'm going to America. Tell my mama, my mama, I'm not going to be a home. <laughs> <laughs> they grab their winnings and they sprint through the crowd, just barely making it onto the ship before the berth closes. This is one of my favorite lines in the movie because... American American uh, ethnocentrism is real as real today as it was back then. Sure. They're like, you have to be checked for lice before we can let you on the boat. And Jack goes, we're both American. We don't have lice. <laughs> and the guy, che- the guy's like, well, that logic holds up. Okay. Yep. That checks it, out. Keep it moving. Works for me. 
The ship of dreams sets sail as Jack and Anancini head to find their cabin, which they are now sharing with two very different, very confused Swedes. Ikea number three and Ikea number four. Ikea's three and four, yep. (laughs) Meanwhile, we see Cal strolling on his private promenade deck. And Erica, to you, I say, he may have a private promenade deck, but does he have an indoor pool with fuck tent and baby grand piano? Not on this ship, he doesn't. No. Maybe back in Pittsburgh, though. (laughs) He might. He might. Yeah, yeah. While Rose decorates their stateroom with paint like Picasso and Degas. Okay, again, <laughs> I'm going to stop here because not only do words matter, but facts matter. Sure. James Cameron, these are very famous paintings. Yeah. One yeah. of them is a Mademoiselle's de Avignon, which is a famous <laughs> Picasso painting that is currently like in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Uh-huh. Like, I've seen it. James Cameron, you can't tell me it's at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> I can see it. Look, it's such a small, small uh-huh. thing. But it drives me crazy. Like, why not just give her the fucking Mona Lisa? Yeah. <laughs> she she has she has like the statue of David. She's like, whatever. She has the thinker. In the- <laughs> not, yeah, nothing is real. This movie's <laughs> fake anyway. Nothing on this movie actually happened to anyone, right? But I do understand why it bothers you because you're at, it's like a biopic. In a way, mm-hmm. we know what's going to happen. Most of the people ain't making this out of this this alive, and all of this stuff is going to wind up on the ocean. So, like later, there's there's Monet's water lilies, uh-huh. which is like I don't know, maybe the fourth most famous painting in the entire world. Third, yeah. like it's way up there. Yeah, and it's <laughs> currently sitting in a museum in France, I believe. Like yeah. <laughs> I know what these things are, James Cameron. Stop right. it. Stop it! So Cal comments that the paintings are ugly, and Rose says to the servants the difference between her and Cal is that she has taste. I do, I do love that line. Yeah. <laughs> Next we meet Margaret Brown, a.k.a. the unsinkable Molly Brown, played to perfection by Kathy Bates. Mm-hmm. No notes on anything to do with Molly Brown in this movie. (laughs) Kathy Bates understood what movie she was in. A hundred percent. Yeah. For those of you who have never seen The Unsinkable Molly Brown, shame on you, first of all. (laughs) I've never seen it. I am now shamed. I am shamed. How? You're a gay... Have you never seen The Unsinkable Molly... Okay, stop what you're doing right now, everybody, and watch The Unsinkable Molly Brown with, with Debbie Reynolds. It is excellent. Um, okay, so okay, so the, yeah, let me explain who Molly Brown is. She's a real person, really existed. She she was a Denver millionaires who like grew up poor, became rich when her husband struck oil, and now became like because she's so different from everybody, became kind mm-hmm. of the toast of New York society. So in real life, the reason she's on this ship is because she was touring Egypt with the Astors, who are also on this ship, and her grandson got called, like, was got sick, so she decided she had to go back early. And the two Astors, who we see later in the movie, are also on the ship with her because they're also going back early. They were not supposed to be on the Titanic. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> so when John Jacob Astor dies in this movie, <laughs> it's because it's because Molly Brown. But let's not go into that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, According to to Rose, Molly is, quote unquote, new money, Mm -hmm. which means Ruth looks at her like a like Ruth, the mother looks at her like a like a bug underneath her feet. We should also point out that Frances Fisher is excellent in this movie. I will tell you which performances I found terrible. But other than those, like, I think everyone is excellent. So we cut to a montage of the inner workings of the Titanic as Jack and Arancini (laughs) run around the ship, winding up on the prow on the front of the ship. 
I can't, Paul, you have to say this part because it's, I, this is so embarrassing. I can't even watch this part of the movie. They, they spot a pod of dolphins, which, first of all, my husband was like, those are not the right dolphins. I read about this. They're, those are actually dolphins that are native to the Pacific, not the Atlantic. So apparently like James Cameron like shipped in the wrong kind of dolphin or something. He got the same dolphin and art expert for the movie. Yeah, yeah. And they get up onto the prow and they Jack lifts his arms. He shouts, I'm the king of the world. I can't believe no one is telling these filthy commoners to get back to where they belong. <laughs> There's also so many parts of the movie where Jack and Rose are alone. on like, yeah. a, on, And I'm like, look, I've taken a few cruises in my time. Not proud of that. Yeah. You're never alone on a fucking cruise. There's 2,000 people on a finite amount of space. <laughs> There's always people around. You're never alone. I'm like, how are they alone? Yeah. So we cut to an upper-class luncheon where Rose, Ruth, Cal, and Molly meet Thomas Andrews, played by Victor Garber, who actually built the Titanic, and J. Bruce Ismay, played by Jonathan Hyde, who essentially like came up with the idea for it. Okay, I, really quickly, before I even get into the scene, I want to say, 99% of Kate Winslet's outfits in this movie, no notes. This dress is fucking hideous. With the orange belt? <laughs> the, it is a pale pastel puce with a tiered white lace overlay and then a pumpkin orange belt that could be worn to a club in like 1988 like it is fucking hideous it is an astounding (laughs) choice to put a belt on that dress a truly astounding choice so rose is in between cal and her mother they are just needling her from both sides don't smoke don't breathe sit there look pretty it's your job you stupid woman shut up right (laughs) she can't take it anymore Ismay comments that he wants to name the ship Titanic because it conveyed size. And Rose is like, probably because you have a tiny dick. <laughs> she like, stands up and walks. She doesn't really say that. She makes like a snide comment about Freud and like what he thought about like size means. Uh-huh. The guy, Jonathan Hyde, who plays Ismay, apparently ad-libbed the line of... Uh, the passenger? <laughs> yeah. He, he goes, who's Freud? Is that a passenger? That was a... Because Andrew, anytime a line lands like that, that is... The, I, maybe James Cameron at least has little enough of an ego to be like, I don't have the best ear for dialogue. So if something sounds great, I'll just keep it. And I'm not going to be precious about my yes. words or whatever. Yeah, he has a, it's a great joke. That is one of my favorite. That's the only, the only times I laugh in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Freud? Is that a passenger? <laughs> <laughs> is he one of the passengers? <laughs> uh, so anyway, so Rose storms out. Molly comments that she's a pistol. And Cal says he'll have to start watching what she's reading. Again, look, I know he's domineering, yeah. but you can make that work sexually in a, in a marriage. I'm just sure. saying. You can, sure. make, you can take these lemons and turn them into lemonade. You know what Absolutely. I'm saying? So meanwhile, we cut to Jack, who is on deck with th- the various ethnic stereotypes on the ship. And he's sketching. He's like, t- he's drawing some woman's hands. Uh-huh. Fabrizio flirts with an Irishman, as Paul writes here. <laughs> <laughs> that Irishman, I, I'm going to name him later on in the episode. Uh-huh. Uh, I name him. This is so offensive. I apologize. <laughs> Blarney Stone McGuinness. Now, Erica, Erica, say that with an Irish accent. <laughs> no, no, I refuse. <laughs> Blar- I can't do an Irish accent. <laughs> Blarney Stone McGuinness, you see. Arancini <laughs> <laughs> and Blarney Stone. <laughs> Blarney Stone and Arancini are hanging out on the deck. Let's see, that's terrible. I turned into Ikea there. <laughs> Um, so Rose appears on the deck above them. She's, she's like, you know, just looking out into the middle distance, contemplating the slave ship that she's on. (laughs) Wondering why she wore this hideous outfit. (laughs) (laughs) 
she and Jack make brief eye contact until Cal comes out to retrieve Rose and Jack watches from the distance. They're having a little spat, a lover spat yeah. on that deck. You can't hear what they're saying. <laughs> There's a line where, where, uh, where Blarney Stone goes, careful boyo, you'll never get close to the likes of her. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this dialogue? <laughs> What like just have him eating a potato? Come on, like <laughs> just a russet brown like an apple. <laughs> Why not? He's dressed like a leprechaun. <laughs> I what? Because why? Because that's all. That's as much yeah. as James Cameron cares about this character. Yeah. Later that night, in a stunning red dress. Huge improvement. Gorgeous. This is, this is maybe my favorite rose look in the entire movie. I, have I to say. agree. It is, and it has, she has these beautiful like uh, emerald earrings with it, and it has like yes. a black overlay on. It's it's amazing. Beaded. It's yeah. must weigh a hundred pounds. This dress yeah. is spectacular. It's actually perfect that she's trying to kill herself in this dress. <laughs> You're gonna go right to the bottom of the ocean in this dress. I've peaked. I'm getting out. <laughs> <laughs> so later that night, Rose is sitting at an upper class like dinner party as it's raging around her. She's she's surveying the room, and in voiceover, we hear old Rose's voice saying that she felt like she could see her whole life. Erica, do the voice. She felt like she could see her whole <laughs> life stretching before her. An endless parade of mindless events and idiotic chatter. She feels like she's on a precipice about to fall. And there's no one there to catch her or pull her back. Spencer, where are you? Where is Spencer? (laughs) She runs. She just takes off running. Yeah. We we cut to her. I do enjoy the fact that the movie just cuts from this to her running. There's no discussion of how she like, I mean, I guess maybe she could have just excused herself to the bathroom. But like, how did she get away from all those people? Honestly, it would be great if she literally just like like Arrested Development like bustered her way out of the room. Like, <laughs> like no, no one sees her. Uh, so yeah, we cut from that her in the middle of that throng to just on the deck alone. She's running. She sprints past Jack. She doesn't stop until she comes to the very back of the ship, the stern of mm-hmm. the ship. She climbs over the rail. She leans out over the ocean. Jack appears behind her. He tells her, "Don't jump." She tells him to stay back or she'll let go. She'll do it. He tells her if she lets go, he'll have to jump in after her. He'll have no choice, even though he's really concerned about how cold the water is. After all, he grew up in Wisconsin. He knows from cold water. He grew up in Wisconsin. He knows from cold water. (laughs) He hopes she'll come back over the rail and let him off the hook. She says he's crazy. And he, I have to say, conversationally defeats her very easily by pointing out that he's not the one hanging over the North Atlantic on the outside of a ship right now. <laughs> Going 20 knots, by the way. Yeah. Like, and she's wearing a hundred pound dress and tiny little like satin slippers. Little kitten heels. How is she not already dead? The movie should be over. <laughs> anyway, other shit happened on the Titanic, but on the first night, some girl killed herself. And yeah. moving. Rose gives him her hand and they introduce themselves. They're smitten. Erica. Unfortunately, they're not paying attention because all of the blood is rushing to their nethers. It's (laughs) very, very disorienting for the first moment. And Rose slips. Suddenly, she doesn't want to go into the water, but she's only holding on to Jack and he's holding on to her and she's screaming for help. Holy shit. Like the propellers. She won't even die in the water. She's going to be mincemeat if she goes into those propellers. Yeah. No, no bueno. Jack says, I've got you. I won't let go. You can pull yourself up. And he, and she does. She actually like grabs the railing and kind of with his help, get yourself back up onto the sh- ship and they collapse onto the deck. The amount of 
of times someone in the film says, I won't let go. Mm. When you watch it more than once <laughs> and you have to pay attention to the dialogue, yeah. it is so grating, almost as grating as <laughs> the amount of times Leonardo DiCaprio says the word rose in the fucking movie. He must say it no fewer than 300 times <laughs> in the course of the movie. And like, I know I've been like saying what a great actor he is, but I have to believe a lot of those are ad-libbed and like, no, no, Leo, stop it. Too much. So anyway, some crewmen arrive. They've heard Rose shrieking. She's shivering and shaking and she's in shock. So she doesn't speak. And they see this boy, this like clearly boy from steerage from the way yeah. he's dressed. A potentially androgynous woman. We're not sure. We never, we never, someone with a constant craving. Just let's just say. <laughs> Little Katie Lang. Okay. We never really talk about this in costumes. And I get why they do it because visually it's very easy to immediately distinguish between steerage and first class passengers. Yeah. Second class is never discussed. I have no, no. idea who the second class people on this boat are or what they look like. They're unimportant. Uh, they are. Uh, you're either super rich or super poor. The middle class does not exist. Just like in America today. So anyway, everyone who's in steerage or third class is literally dressed in brown burlap the entire movie. They all yeah. are beige. And then upper class is all the other colors or whatever. Yeah. So they see this boy hovering over Rose. They immediately assume, oh shit, they, he was trying to rape her. And they arrest him. Rose finally snaps out of it after a few, like they're in the middle of arresting him. And, yeah. and she's like, wait, 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 where am I? Who am I? Right. I'm, I'm alive. And she tells them what really, she didn't tell them exactly what really happened. She says, I almost fell overboard. This, this young man saved me. Well, she tells Cal cause Cal arrives. Right. And she doesn't want to get in trouble for trying to kill herself because yeah. back then that was illegal. <laughs> and against God. Anyone, most importantly i suppose yeah and so she tells cal that she was looking at the propellers on the ship when she slipped and this boy saved her life so jack is freed cal offers him 20 dollars, which i don't know what that is back then but it just doesn't seem like enough it doesn't but i looked it up it's buying power equivalent of like 600 bucks yeah but he saved her fiance's life and this dude's a, this dude owns a diamond that was owned by henry by <laughs> louis the 16th that's fair but i'm like i don't think he's Maybe that's all he had on him. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I didn't yeah. think, like, like, I think it's more appropriate to actually not offer money and to genuinely say thank you. Like, it's not the amount of money that's the problem. It's the thought that I should give you money in the first place. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Rose is offended that, that, that Cal is valuing her life at $20. And he's like, oh, you're absolutely right. So actually, he has this great line. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if he, if he ad-libbed it or not. But I want to believe he did because I love him so Billy Zane so much. But he goes, oh, she's offended. <laughs> like, like it's part of it for him. Yeah. Like he's like, ooh, Kitty want to scratch? <laughs> Kitty's got claws. <laughs> and he goes, and so he turns around and he invites Jack to join them for dinner the following evening. And Jack yeah. agrees. That night, Rose is preparing for bed in her stateroom. Cal enters and says... He doesn't know why she's been melancholy recently, but he bought her a present in hopes of cheering her up. He was going to save it for the engagement party, but he wants to give it to her now, just in hopes of seeing a smile on her beautiful face. And he opens the jewelry box to show her the heart of the ocean. She's agog at the diamond. He puts it on her. He tells her that there's nothing he'd deny her, so long as she didn't deny him. He asks her to open her heart to him. Heart. <laughs> this also feels like 
it's a, it's 1912. I've seen Downton. I've seen like three episodes of Downton Abbey. Uh-huh. This, this wouldn't happen. These two would not be left alone together. They are engaged, but they're not married. And like they are traveling with her mother, but her mother is the worst chaperone. Yeah. Because her mother's they, like, get pregnant right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't waste any time. Lock this down. <laughs> The next day, Jack and Rose stroll along the deck as he tells her his whole life story. He was orphaned when he was 15, and he's just been a nomad ever since. <laughs> what? Who is this? Per- okay, so he's orphaned when he's 15. He's in Wisconsin, right? Uh-huh. He then tells a story about With how he used to- strong California accent, by the way. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the accent I'm doing is not what Leonardo DiCaprio is doing. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio is speaking exactly like Leonardo DiCaprio in this film. Yeah. Bitch, you are not from Wisconsin. He then had time to go to California and, like, make his way down the California coast, then winds up somehow in Paris for an extended period of time, then in England. Uh huh. How? How did he just, like, put himself onto ships? You know, honestly, that would make sense if they, they said, I, I worked my way across the, the like, like I, I signed up to become a ship. A, a, you know, a, a, a work on a ship, or a porter yeah. or whatever, because later he kind of understands how ships work in a certain way. And that would actually give him a reason to have that knowledge of like, in a disaster, this is what you do. Yeah. You know what? The rest of the movie is so silly. I didn't question this at all. Like, oh, sure. Like, I guess maybe he wins trips in, in card games. And yeah. just there's a line later where he's like, yesterday I was sleeping under a bridge. Now today I'm on the Titanic. And I'm like, yeah. Sleeping under a bridge? Are you okay? <laughs> I also, under- and I understand that 15 in 1912 was much older than 15 is today. Like, there is a, there's a big delta there. 15, you're basically middle-aged in 1912. Like, what yeah. do you have? Another good 25 years at the most, <laughs> then it's it. <laughs> okay, so you asked a question. Let's answer it. Uh-huh. Why is he in England? I get why someone like an artist would go to Paris. Well, yeah, because it makes sense that he was in France, but maybe he had to flee France. Oh, maybe maybe there was maybe there was a maybe he uh, 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 seduced a, a, com- a comtess. Ooh, maybe he got under the on the bad side of a chevalier. Yes, and he had to he had to scooch across the English Channel real quick, <laughs> quick like a bunny, and that's why oh. he's so eager to get back to America to put more distance between him and the vengeful chevalier de Montrachet. <laughs> Or he decided to join an acting troupe. Oh, okay. He saw a production of As You Like It and was like, this this is my life. This is my calling. You mean there's a character who's a man, but kind of also has feminine qualities and looks like a woman? <laughs> That's me. I could do that. <laughs> so, okay, back to Rose and Jack. So Rose thanks him again for saving her and for and for like her his discretion as she says, um, and then confides that she feels like her life is spiraling out of control. Like she yeah. just met this guy and she's like, anyway, thanks for saving my life. Oh my god, it's a disaster. Like, <laughs> okay, lady, I need you to I need you to take five steps away from me now. I will. I accept this part only because they do establish her as seventeen years old. She's also smoking hot. So yeah. like, yeah, a smoking hot girl <laughs> could say anything to a guy and he'd be like, tell me your life story. <laughs> so Jack asks if she loves Cal and she's like, what? She's so good in the scene. Mm-hmm. She, that is a perfect reaction. She goes, well, you can't ask me that. And he's like, why not? Do you love him or not? And she's like, that's very rude. Don't ask me that. Like, you don't say shit like that to people. Uh-huh. 
uh, she's like, I can't even believe you're asking me that. And he's like, well, that's not a yes. And she's like, you're being very inappropriate. Uh, he's like, it's a simple question. And she's like, look, you don't know me and I'm leaving. Uh And she starts to walk away. And then she remembers that he is on her part of the ship. So she's like, Hey, actually you leave. (laughs) It's cute because she, the dialogue is such that if you just read it and took it at face value, it seems like she's very upset, but Kate Winslet is playing it. Like she's so shocked and and kind of like amazed that he has that potential to be so real that she's, she can't help, but like be like turned on by Jack. Yeah. Okay, so before she, she's like, you should leave. And she's like, what's this portfolio you're carrying? And she grabs the portfolio out from his hands. And she starts looking at his, at his drawings. And remember, she's like an artiste. She has, mm-hmm. like a, she has good taste in art. She has an eye. And she's like, actually, uh, I'm very impressed by these. These are, good. these are pretty good. Jack goes through the, the portfolio with her. He tells her the stories of his subjects. Like the one-legged prostitute. I wish to God they showed the picture. They don't show the picture in the movie. But her, she, the way Kate Winslet's like, oh, she sees it. I'm like, excellent. No, no. <laughs> and then this woman who's like sat at a bar all night wearing all her best jewelry, waiting for her long lost love to return that he named Madame Bijou. Madame Bijou. Okay. How does he know anything about her? He doesn't speak <laughs> French. And I, I doubt the waiter at that restaurant was like, let me tell you everything about everyone. Let me tell you about Sabine over there. Because you know what? I have time. Uh-huh. And you know what else? I have an interest in talking to Americans. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like over in France now. They love us. Oh, my God. Go sit in a cafe all day. Refuse to even try to speak French. Order very little food. <laughs> <laughs> ask ask for a latte with soy milk. They love ah! that. And then just ask lots of questions about everyone else there. Your waiter will love you. <laughs> so Rose tells him genuinely that he has a gift, that he actually sees people. Jack says, I see you. Mm-hmm. Rose says, and he goes, you wouldn't have jumped. We cut to Ruth. That's the mother, the Iron Widow. She's having tea. She's expounding upon the value of an MRS degree. The only reason her daughter would even go to university would be to net a husband. And she's already done that. So why would she go to university? That's insane. You know what? By 1912 logic, though, you're supposed to hate her for thinking that way. And I'm like, it's 1912. What's Rose going to do? Be a doctor? No. That was the way of the world. Like Like, Rose isn't going to be allowed to just go to to college (laughs) and do things. As she's sitting there, she sees Molly Brown. She of the unsinkable. (laughs) <laughs> uh, approaching she wants to avoid her but molly just kind of makes her way into their group and as they all head out for a constitutional on the deck meanwhile ismay that's the one that rose was like tiny dick much to he's meeting with the captain he's encouraging the captain to open up the engines to full speeds so they can arrive in new york early they can make even more headlines for the titanic the captain is reluctant but ismay continues to pressure him foreshadowing We cut back to the deck to our young lovers. They continue to bond. Jack offers to teach Rose how to spit. I hate the scene. I know. Yeah, I hate, I hate, I like literally can't watch the scene. Like watching people spit grosses me out so much. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Like it turns my stomach every time he makes that hawking sound. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he gets it. Well, because this scene, I thought this scene, the dialogue was zingier than most, like noticeably better and then i found out that it was mostly ad- ad-libbed 
They also just seem to really like each other all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's almost like you can see the two, because we know in real life now that they're very close. So yeah. like you just see these two actors getting to like each other in real time. Yeah. But but no, it really grosses me out to watch people spit. And I'm so glad it came back in the movie so that it didn't, It it I had to watch, I did not have to watch this for no reason. You didn't watch this in vain. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so unfortunately, in the middle of Jack horking up what sounds frankly like a truly majestic loogie. Oh, <laughs> Ruth appears behind them with Molly and a few of her other other uh, cohorts. And she is none too pleased, Erica, about her daughter's current choice of companions. So Rose is like, uh, mother, this is... Uh, and she just excuses herself and like takes Ruth away before Ruth can get her claws into Jack too much. Molly, on the other hand, is someone who came from nothing and is now part of this upper class likes Jack immediately. She takes pity on him. After Ru- Rose leaves with her mother, she's like aren't you going to dinner with them tonight? And he's like, yeah. She's like, okay, it's a snake pit. Come with me. I have one of my son's tuxedos. I think it'll fit you. You cannot wear what you're wearing or you will, it will be a disaster. So that's how he gets his tuxedo. Yep. That night, Jack enters the dinner in his tux with his hair slicked back. He mimics the other men to get the proper body language. He picks it all up very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. He looks fantastic. I would like to stay for the record. I understand that Leonardo DiCaprio is an attractive man. He just does nothing for me. He's very young looking. That's yeah. a, that's for me. That was the thing. Is up until he was thirty. I like a gray back <laughs> and old bones. Up until he was. Th- <laughs> up until he was thirty-five, he looked seventeen, and yeah. then for one year he looked thirty-five, and then immediately went to fifty. Like, I yeah. don't know what happened. That makes sense. So to me, that's the year. That one thirty-five year is the right time there. that like. The sweet spot for Leonardo DiCaprio. So Cal and Ruth walk right past him without recognizing him because he looks like one of them. Yeah. Rose appears at the top of the stairs. We really, I mean, the attention to detail in this set design is spectacular. Yeah. I was reading online, like they had to make some modifications and make things a little bit bigger than they actually were because cameras are fitting into this space and everything. But they, the minute detail of how of what the ship looks like is almost exact yeah. in every single way. And it is spectacular, which makes the other problems like the other things so <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> so like it, it cannot be stated enough how visually sumptuous this film is to watch. Like, yeah, I am in no matter what's happening. I am into it for the gowns and the sets. Rose appears looking gorgeous. Absolutely. She sees, she immediately sees Jack. Her eye goes right to him. He offers her his arm and she brings him to Cal. She's like, thank you, sir. And Cal is like, well, Jack, you almost look like a gentleman. You could actually pass for a gentleman. It's very funny. He's very condescending. You don't look like a street rat who was born a street rat and will die a street rat and only whose fleas will mourn him. He literally calls him a gutter rat later in the movie. And I thought of that line. He's like, you're a gutter rat and only your fleas will mourn you. She reintroduces Jack to her or maybe... Yes, reintroduces because they met in the spinning scene earlier. Yeah. Jack to her mother and mother is like danger, danger, like Uh cute cute boy who clearly likes my daughter and she seems smitten. This is this is going to be a problem. Molly appears and she tells Jack basically fake it till you make it. And Jack is like, no worries. And he kind of goes through pretty flawlessly, I'd say, at dinner. He charms everyone. Can I tell one thing real quick? 
Yeah. So he sits next to this woman at dinner who's the Countess of Roths, who doesn't really do much in the movie, but they name check her. In real life, she survived the Titanic. She was the actual Countess. She was on board with her mother and her maid. She made sure her mother and her maid all made it through with her. So she was they, everyone was saved. Mm-hmm. And then when she got to the Carpathia, she like took charge of taking care of all the women in steerage and like, and like made sure that everyone had enough clothes and food. And she was like um, being really nice to the children, like, like playing with the kids to keep them distracted from sadly from the fact that like half their family died on the ship. And like, they say that she was a marvel during the whole thing. Like, it's so weird. The movie kind of doesn't really just, and I'm like, she's interesting. She's got a really cool story. And they don't grant any of these people in upper class except for Rose any sympathy nothing about the movie would make me think that that woman would was awesome yeah yeah she seems kind of snooty and nose in the air and i'm like no she's fascinating she did a really she helped row the the boats to the carpathia like she took an oar and was like let's do this let's get let's get off let's get people to safety yeah like she was an incredible hero during the whole thing same with like molly like they kind of mention molly brown and then they Mm -hmm. drop her but that's i assume that's because like there's a whole other movie about her specifically (laughs) (laughs) right so anyway jack sits down to dinner next to the countess de roth and Everyone is kind of immediately charmed by him, except for Ruth, yeah. who will, dog with a bone, will not let this fucking thing go. Laser and focused. Once they sit down, she is immediately like, so how are the accommodations in steerage? <laughs> and then he answers and she's like, she's like, so you don't have a job? And he's like, he answers and she's like, do you even have a house? <laughs> Ruth doesn't understand the benefit of perhaps uh, maybe a little reverse psychology or something here. Like she's already, your daughter's already smitten. You're going to have to work much more subtly than just like, I'm going to sledgehammer this person until he cries. Like it's just going to make you the villain. Jack is, as Paul writes here, Teflon. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing breaks him. He has clever, charming answers to all her questions. He says he wants to make each day of his life count. And that's what's important. And that actually prompts Rose to lift her champagne glass and say, to making it count. Yeah. And they all toast to Jack, much to Ruth's chagrin. Yeah. After dinner, the men head off to smoke cigars and powder their balls. And the women <laughs> stay behind to, I don't know, talk about their periods, I presume. That's what women do <laughs> when they're alone together. Is that right? It's just witchcraft. Oh, once, okay. the, once the men leave, they form a coven. And get out the cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> double, double, boil in trouble, ladies. <laughs> Jack begs off the cigar smoking. Good choice. For a second, I was like, oh my God, does he go with them? But he did, he doesn't. <laughs> Smart enough to not go with the men. And he slips Rose a note as he shakes her hand and he's leaving. She opens the note and it says, make it count. Meet me at the clock. She does. And he asks her with a smirk if she wants to go to a real party. (laughs) I love this part so much. (laughs) Erica, I want you to do this because I can see the glee rising up in you. It is is like a joy is suffusing you. It's (laughs) like you're pregnant and you want to (laughs) be. Smash cut to the peasantry. (laughs) Whereas Paul writes here. An Irishman assaults our ears with bagpipes. I disagree. I actually think this music sounds incredible. I've never heard. I Look, bagpipes are, spitting is a no for you. Bagpipes are a no for me. <laughs> Stop it. Whatever is making that horrible squealing shriek, shut up. <laughs> Maybe it's because you don't hang around with kids as much as I do. Fair. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 rarely, I rarely have to entertain spitting. Whereas bagpipes... 
you'd be surprised in the yeah. wild they come on, <laughs> you come across them so yeah he, there's like there's like a, a drum playing like a big drum and then like yeah. bagpipes and it's just kind of great paul writes here a bunch of pores dance a jig <laughs> exactly what happens basically all the like ethnic groups converge at the bottom of the boat to get sweaty and drink beer yeah. and dance we're gonna dance god i'm a dancer a dancer dances because poor people have fun and rich people are boring <laughs> it's so funny like there's this like there's like this baked in stereotype that rich people are are bad and poor people are living like a more honest, happy life. And I, like like and I'm sure sometimes that's true. And it's good to show that like you don't need money to be happy. Like that's all great. But like the difference in just I don't I don't believe all the poor people in steerage on Titanic were this happy. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> what if we cut to, to 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 Ikea 1 and Ikea 2 crying in their room? Just being like, I miss my mother. Why? Why did I take that job in America? Yeah, I agree. It's so stupid. And again, we never see second class. There is a whole class of people in on this ship that we never see. <laughs> Because there is just no stereotype about them. Like, right. some of them are happy and some of them are sad, I guess. I don't know. They'd have to be, like, real people. <laughs> yeah, they, they, like, they cut to their dining room and they're just, like, hanging out, talking about the weather. It's yeah. so boring. <laughs> <laughs> should write a whole, we should write a whole movie about, like, the second, the, the, like, the what second was going on in second class <laughs> during this movie. <laughs> <laughs> So Jack pulls Rose onto the dance floor and she's like, no, Jack, no, I can't. Oh my God, I can't, I can't move and dance and be lascivious. <laughs> I'm not a whore. I'm not a whore. Spoiler, yes, she is. Okay. Okay. They start to dance a jig. There must be a thing in Leonardo DiCaprio's contracts where he has to dance in every single movie he's in mm -hmm. because they will find a reason if it is not in the script for him to dance. Now that you know it's there in his career, look for it. <laughs> I don't watch very many Leonardo DiCaprio movies, so I, I'm not as I'm not as versed in his oeuvre. Unless it's like one of the really dark ones. But like, uh -huh. yeah, they will find a reason because he's actually a very good dancer. There was probably no choreography offered to him. He was like, let me just make something up. I have no idea if any of the moves he's doing are historically accurate. Mm -hmm. They spin around. They laugh. They're intoxicated. They fall in love. There's that, that spinning scene that they do together where, uh -huh. again, I'm not made of stone, Paul. <laughs> You show me two young people happy and in love spinning around on a dance floor, I'm going to feel something. You're going to feel something. I'm going to feel a twinge of joy for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm not the only one feeling the joy, Paul, because Rose is feeling it. Rose drops all of her inhibitions. She mm -hmm. stops acting all snooty and upper class. She drinks beer after beer. She's pounding them down. And there's these two men, I think... It one of them is is Ikea number one, but I'm not sure who the other guy is. I think the other one is Blarney, is Blarney Stone McGinnis. Is it Blarney Stone McGinnis? I think so, yeah. We have to think of like something for the Slovakian character. <laughs> but now I'm genuinely afraid I'm going to cause an international incident here. Because <laughs> Arancini Chianti is like dancing on the... He's, he's dancing. There's an amazing actually moment in this scene where Arancini Dan Chianti walks up to a woman who's not Italian. Like I'm not sure uh -huh. what, like what her ethnicity is. but So he's speaking very slowly and in English. And he goes, is it okay if I put my hand on your... 
like like on your back when uh-huh. we dance. And I was like, look at you asking for consent. Wow. What a king. Uh-huh. You know what? Fabrizio, just for this scene alone, I'm going to give you a name again. <laughs> We're going to give you Fabrizio. You, 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 you earned it, my friend. <laughs> So there's this great moment here where Rose decides to like show off for the big strong men who are who are arm wrestling as she stands on point, like uh-huh. on her toes. <laughs> In nothing but a set of stockings. In nothing but a set of stockings. And I get how that's like impressive, but uh-huh. also not impressive. Like even as a kid, I was like, why are they all applauding her? <laughs> <laughs> But the movie makes it seem like she just lifted 400. She's like f- dead weight lifted 400 yeah. pounds. I'm like, that. I mean, okay. I yeah, and also, I don't believe she can do that. <laughs> oh, you'll, you'll notice right away they cut from Kate Winslet. There's not a whole body shot. It is no. just the feet. Yep. Because they clearly hired a ballet dancer to do that, that moment alone. Uh-huh. Okay, meanwhile, while all this revelry is happening, unbeknownst to our lovers, dun, 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 <laughs> Cal's manservant who I need to talk about for a uh-huh. while. So I okay. apologize to the listeners. <laughs> Cal's manservant appears. His name, ladies and gentlemen, is Spicer Lovejoy. <laughs> Lady, ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between, your entrant into the Sesame Plexer Memorial Insane Name Hall of Fame for the Titanic, Spicer Lovejoy. <laughs> Spicer Lovejoy. He is played by David Warner. I think he's doing an excellent job given he has the literal worst character in the entire movie because Paul, if you can explain to me mm-hmm. at any point in this film, what Spicer Lovejoy's motivations are for anything he does, I will give you a million dollars. The the only, and I, I'm only half joking when I say this, the only thing that could potentially make sense is if he is deeply in love with Cal. And given given the actor's choices, I'm guessing that's not it. Yeah, he his loyalty to Cal is so outsized for the fact that Cal's an asshole to everybody. I'll get into it later. I'll get into it a lot more in my, my section of the film uh-huh. because Spicer Lovejoy's entire being becomes so suspect once the <laughs> once the ship starts sinking that i'm like why are you doing anything you're doing sir yeah, yeah. okay so anyway uh, by the way i also uh well spicer lovejoy is an incredible name i i i refer to him in my half of the recap as the abominable yes man <laughs> so that's what i'm going to refer to him as fair enough throughout, throughout this you're welcome to continue calling him Spicer Lovejoy, because that is incredible. Spicer Lovejoy has kind of been in the movie the whole time, right? Yeah. He kind of follows Cal around. He's this big hulking, like, manservant. He spots Rose and Jack, and he's like, oh, got to tell my boss about his his little wifey stepping out on him. The next morning, Rose sits at breakfast with Cal, who opens the conversation with, I had hoped you would come to me last night. It's 1912, bro. Yeah, like. No, right? Okay, I I didn't know if I was overreacting. We are not married yet. (laughs) Like, why did you think I'd fuck you? We're not married yet. Rose says she was tired, and Cal immediately reveals that he knows about her trip to the slums of steerage. Rose says that he shouldn't have her followed, and Cal loses it. He throws the whole table across the room like a proto, real housewife of the Titanic. Rose is clearly frightened. She starts to weep. But, okay, so I have... One thing to say about this scene. Apparently, there was a rumor for a long time that Billy Zane, like, improvised throwing the table. In that same article, I think, in Vulture, he was like, 
I didn't improvise throwing the table, that would be incredibly unprofessional and also would have been really dangerous for Kate if I had done that. She absolutely knew that I was going to throw the table. I've never liked an actor more. I thought the same thing when I read it. it he did say it was his idea. Like it wasn't yeah. in the script. And he's like, what if I flip the table? Is that okay? And everyone agreed Yeah, <laughs> that he can do that. Because it's also like, you can't just flip a table. With all props on it. There's and props distri- on it. Yes. <laughs> also, she's wearing like, she's wearing a costume that then they have to fucking clean if he gets yeah. tea on it. Like, this is all planned out ahead of time. Yeah. And her reaction is, that's actually a testament, a testament to how good her reaction is. Because mm-hmm. it does feel like she is genuinely surprised. Yeah. He did also say in that interview that this is the first and only take. And Billy Zane is doing a very good job of screaming and then making his voice very quiet. Like, he he becomes much more dangerous in this scene than he was before. I, there is a leveling up. Yeah. I would say. Later that day, Rose is getting laced into her corset by her maid, Trudy. I, Trudy, Trudy, we find out how Trudy meets her end in the movie. <laughs> that is a fucking bummer when Trudy dies at the end of the movie. <laughs> She's getting laced into her corset and Ruth appears and she says, Trudy, get out. And she starts to lace Rose into her corset. She very calmly tells Rose that she's not to see Jack again and that Rose needs to be thankful for the match with Cal since your father died and left us with nothing and all we have is our name. We're trading on our name. And what do you want to happen? Do you want your mother to be a seamstress? (laughs) (laughs) The way Frances Fisher says the word seamstress, like like she just said, like, (laughs) like, Piss, play, prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent elevation of just prostitute, by the way. Like you had alliteration in there. Very good. Solid, solid work for, from you. She is. Okay. So like this scene is almost emblematic of the movie. Like everything's on the surface, right? Okay. We have a scene where we have to have Ruth come in and like chastise Rose and tell her about duty and like everything that she needs to do to like protect their family. So we're going to have her lacing her into her corset. (laughs) Same time. (laughs) And like like, Trudy did a fine job and and Ruth is like, like tightening that corset to break a rib. Yeah. Do you get it? Do you get it? It's like she's in a cage. Yeah. You get it? Yeah. So Ruth is like, if this match with Cal falls through, we're going to wind up impoverished. Rose says it's not fair for her mother to put that on her. And her mother is like, boo fucking who, life isn't fair, grow up. Yeah. Also, not for nothing, but Frances Fisher is a beautiful woman. Ruth, why can't you marry someone? Marry up. You're not going to marry as well as Rose, but you can marry someone. You can certainly not wind up as a seamstress. Ah, as a, as a, a frotted whore. (laughs) I don't even think that's a thing. I'm now just putting words together. The next day, Jack shows up at the first class chapel during mass. Okay, Paul, is this Mm -hmm. mass? Because I am having a real hard time figuring out what these people are doing in this scene. It is maybe 20 people uh-huh. of the first class cabin, of which like 
they're probably 500 sure. <laughs> or 300. I don't know. But it's like 20 people singing one hymn that is basically God adjacent, but is really <laughs> about like protecting people while they're at sea. Uh-huh. And I'm, again, I'm like, go back to my coven thing. Is this a coven? Is that what we're walking Are in Are we on? worshiping Poseidon? There does not seem to be any kind of minister or priest or uh-huh. anyone at the helm of this being like, and the Lord saith, <laughs> blah, 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 <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. There's literally just the captain running a chorus of people singing. Yeah, this song. yeah. Well, th- that's that's how they do it at sea, Erica. If you're if you're going to worship Poseidon and or Neptune, <laughs> the captain is the one that leads the mass. It's a think- it's a mass honoring Poseidon. I got think. it, got it. I yeah. would think it would be John the Baptist, the one who likes <laughs> dunking people in the water, as the, the person that'd be. But okay, I see I see Poseidon here. Okay, this scene makes no sense, but I will continue. <laughs> So Jack shows up looking for Rose, who's singing about perils on the sea. (laughs) Foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Unfortunately, the abominable yes man is standing right at the door. Why? Spicer Lovejoy. Does he not get a moment to himself? Does he have to work 24 hours a day for Cal? He is there when Cal needs him. And one day, Cal will wake up and realize that the thing he's loved has been in front of him all along. (laughs) It's like like Bill Nye and his his manager in, in love, actually. It's like Prince Wesley and Buttercup in The Princess Bride. <laughs> Cal says something and the ab- abominable yes man says, as you wish. As you wish. <laughs> uh, so he pays him some money. He reminds him, you do not belong in first class. Like, go mm-hmm. back to where you people hang out. As though you aren't a fucking servant yourself, abominable yes man. Yeah. Uh, he sends Jack away. Rose doesn't see any of this. She's too busy. She's that girl at church singing at the top of her lungs. Yeah. If she doesn't <laughs> sing, the, the one who sings the most quietly gets sacrificed. So she has to make sure that. <laughs> so Rose walks with her family afterwards. And they're, they're, the captain and, and Andrews, I think, at this point is still with them, giving them a little tour of the boat, right? Mm-hmm. Of the ship. We hear the captain receive an ice warning. <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> i think it's five shadowing now five <laughs> and then and then rose talks to andrews that's victor garber's character okay we never discussed this earlier he is doing an irish accent that somehow works i don't know the magic of victor garber i don't know what yeah. his particular brand of witchcraft is but somehow this works right yeah he's good he's good and it, it's well because he's not doing like a hard irish accent it's a very soft melodic probably not particularly accurate but very pleasing to listen to irish accent and it is at least somewhat consistent yeah he's not doing what blarney stone mcginnis is doing he's not (laughs) so then rose takes a look at the lifeboat situation and she's like huh hey mr andrews by my calculations there's only about enough lifeboats for half the people on this ship am i Am I crazy? And he's like, no, you're absolutely right. He's like, Uh big old smile on his face. He's like, but don't worry. We definitely aren't going to sink. Yep. Six shadowing. We're on six shadowing now. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, hashtag women in STEM. Way to go, Rose. (laughs) Look at you knowing how to count. Knowing how to add, knowing how to multiply, all that stuff. Incredible. But like, we all know the ship is going to hit an iceberg and sink. I don't think you need to put this much foreshadowing into that event like oh yeah unless you want to specifically tell a story about how 
and and this story should be true in this case how things were ignored yes that should have not been ignored and that is why this happened but i don't think that's what the point is he it's, it's like he's trying to build dramatic tension and you we all know he's gonna skip the iceberg because it's not dramatic tension I guess, I mean, okay, let me give James Cameron the tiniest benefit of the doubt here. Maybe, and I guess it's true. People who are watching this movie in 1997, it had now, it had been almost 100 years since the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't know, like they knew it, it sank, right? But they didn't know that the, there were only half the, the lifeboats for the passengers. Oh, like, well, the, the lifeboats, maybe, yes. Maybe that's not a, a thing people knew. Yes. And the movie had to be like, by the way, yeah, they only had enough lifeboats for half the passengers on this stupid ship. The lifeboats I'm totally fine with because I agree. I don't think that was like a common knowledge thing. But the iceberg hitting the Titanic is like, I mean, that is a that is a metaphor that is used everywhere. Like, like iceberg dead ahead. Like everyone says that and that's because of the Titanic. <laughs> By the way, if you think we're going to stop at six shadowing, you don't know what movie you're watching. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You don't know James Cameron, my friend. <laughs> Jack, who has swiped some clothes from a first-class passenger's disguise, pulls Rose away from her family. Rose tells him she's marrying Cal and then says, I love Cal, with like the same conviction as you would say it if like for an inherited pet that you're allergic to. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I've been saddled with this for my family. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I love this llama. He's great. Yeah, when he's he spits great. on me, it's so sexy. Yeah. <laughs> Jack tells her that he understands how the world works. And this is where we have to ask, does he? Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely don't seem like you do, Jack. You seem to think that exceptions are made in this world for cute underclass. <laughs> and they're not. He says he's too involved now. You jump, I jump, remember? He says he just wants to know she'll be all right. And Rose says she'll be fine. And Jack says he's worried that the fire he so loves in her will go out one day if she marries Cal. And she says it's not up to him to save her. And he says, you're right. Only you can do that. This is another moment where I'm like, this fucking dialogue. Mm. Like, oh, what a slog to get through this, (laughs) this scene. Later, Rose is sitting with her mother. Ruth is prattling on about to her friends about the wedding and the engagement and the invitations and blah, blah, blah. And Rose is dying inside. The, the ember of her soul is being slowly smothered <laughs> by this corset. She heads out. She finds Jack on the prow of that ship. And Erica, is that a tin whistle I hear? <laughs> she tells Jack she changed her mind. And he shushes her. He says, give me your hand. He says, close your eyes, and he brings her up to the prow of the ship. He has her step up onto the rail, and he asks, do you trust me? She says, yes. And he lifts her arms up, and he tells her to open her eyes, and she does, and she gasps, I'm flying! And then they French as the sun sets. This is Frenching, right? That's the only word for this. This is Frenching. (laughs) This is not kissing. If you're English, it's snogging. Snogging, yeah. Yeah. Um, Look, okay, as much as I hated the I'm, I'm the king of the world moment, yeah. This one I'm fine with. I don't know why. I have levels, I guess. Yeah. Like, you're not you're an onion. God damn it, I'm a secret romantic because this yeah. I was like, oh, okay. That's kinda nice. <laughs> That's kinda nice. Also, these two look good together. I like watching them kiss. They do but, look good together. And I will say I know that the other look was maybe your favorite, this midnight blue dress that she's oh. wearing now. Stunning. 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 We flash forward to old Rose and <laughs> and Brock. <laughs> Okay, you're, you're absolutely like, you really think Brock Lovett is going to be the best name in the movie? Yeah. 
they hit you with with Taladon Hockley first. Yeah. And you're like, fuck yeah. And then yeah. Spicer Lovejoy. Spicer Lovejoy is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and Rose says, that was the last time Titanic saw daylight. <laughs> We flash back to 1912. Rose leads Jack into her stateroom. Uh, there's like a sitting room in her stateroom. Her stateroom yeah. is enormous. It's enormous. The Titanic was like, let's eat the rich. Yeah, <laughs> enough. <laughs> enough. <laughs> he's like, oh my God, you have a Monet. <laughs> and she's like showing him all of her art. He's really impressed. He recognizes the Degas right away mm-hmm. also. Who is Jack? <laughs> well, he's an artist who spent some time in France. Yeah, did he go to art history classes? Like, did he audit them at the local university? I, I... <laughs> in another life, do you ever see Midnight in Paris? I know it's a Woody Allen movie, but we have to talk about it with <laughs> Owen Wilson. In another life, Jack is the Owen Wilson yes. character in Midnight yeah. in Paris. Correct. So Rose opens the safe. She shows Jack the heart of the ocean. He's like, holy shit. And she says, Jack... I want you to draw me like one of your French girls wearing this. And he goes, yeah, okay, I could do that. Very casual. He's still staring at the necklace. Mm-hmm. He can't believe he's holding like the value of New Zealand in his hand. Right. <laughs> and then she goes, only this. Ooh. And Jack, Jack picks up what she's putting down. He starts to sweat. You see it immediately. He's sweating. He's like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. No, no problem. Then he gets this the settee, the cité. I don't know how to say that word. The chaise, I think settee. The chaise lounge ready. There you go. The couch. The, couch. the love seat. The love. It's really a love seat now. Yeah. Rose appears in a dressing gown. And look, I know there's like, I've said a lot about the costumes in this movie. Believe it or not, this is my actual favorite thing in, oh, okay. in this movie. It is it's a gorgeous. black beaded dressing gown for the gods. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope to God Kate Winslet stole it and is sitting in her closet right now. I hope yeah. that's what I want for this thing. She says the last thing she needs is another picture of herself looking like a porcelain doll. So she gives Jack a dime. She's like, for your trouble, mm-hmm. artist. Like she's being cute, right? And that is what he said uh, he charged for a drawing like when he was on like the California coast. Right. So there's a, there is like a, a loop in the movie about that, to be fair. <laughs> she drops the robe. Um, Kate Winslet, if you are listening to this, you're not. No notes. Body is slamming. Slamming. I. You know what? If I had tits and they ever looked like that, I would also be like, can someone please commit these to celluloid immediately? <laughs> yeah. Can I be naked in literally every movie I ever make? And they're like, yeah. you're playing Margaret Thatcher. And she's like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Show me naked because I am fucking perfect <laughs> she's she does look like a statue like it, it is scary how beautiful she looks <laughs> unbelievable and you can i think it's her because there's it's a full body shot it's not like they cut they like, they said it's her like i read about it and she was like she has no problem she's like i'll do nudity i know it doesn't bother me and i'm like yeah because you looked in the mirror and you were like high five to me the world needs to see this yeah <laughs> i can't i can't hide this that's that would be a crime this is a service this is charity i'm doing this is charity she, yeah. i mean honestly one of the most beautiful bodies i one of the most beautiful women i've ever seen i was like holy shit <laughs> every time kate winslet shows her tits a boys and girls club gets funded <laughs> Every time Kate Winslet shows her tits, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack starts like Paul writes here. He quickly slaps his drawing board over his crotch. Excellent yeah. note. I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> oh yeah. 
He poses Rose on the couch without standing up because he can't. And he starts to draw her. It's really well shot. Like it's close-ups of his eyes looking at her. It's close-up of her face, her perfect face with that giant necklace hanging around her neck. We zoom in on Rose's eye and we're transported back to 1997. And old Rose says, <laughs> it was the most erotic moment of my life. Making it weird for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Her granddaughter's there. She's like, cool. Cool. Glad I was here for this part. <laughs> the crew, by the way, who were all skeptical about her because she's an actress and they think she was a con artist, are riveted. Uh, they're wondering what happened. Oh, God, wouldn't it be amazing if it, she was a con artist? Mm. If the movie ends and you find out she's a con artist. Twist. <laughs> she's actually Trudy. <laughs> <laughs> she's actually Molly Brown. Yeah. <laughs> So um, they're wondering what happened next. Rose, old Rose chuckles and she says, you mean, did we do it? <laughs> and I'm like, God, I really didn't need to hear Gloria yeah. Stewart say that line. I, I could have I lived my whole life and not my whole that. life. There's also, they also say this thing about Gloria Stewart that like she was 87. So she had to wear old age makeup so she would appear 100. I'm like, no one knows the difference <laughs> visually between 87. Unless she was the most well-preserved 87 year old. In the history of time, no one would have been like, that bitch doesn't look a day over 85. <laughs> Unless you're Jane Fonda, you don't have yeah. to worry about this. <laughs> oh my God, they really said that? They had to yeah, age her up? They, they her had up. to age her a whole 10 years up. <laughs> Give her some waddle on that neck, you know what I mean? <laughs> she tells him, no, Jack was very professional. They did not bone down on the couch in yeah. her in her drawing room. We cut back to 1912. Rose is looking at her portrait. She kisses Jack. She's very happy with it, as she should be. It, they, he did a great job. Yeah. She tells Jack to put the jewelry. She hands the, the necklace to, and in the jewelry box to Jack. And she tells Jack to put the diamond back in the safe as she writes a note. So she kind of turns her back for a minute. And we, as the audience, see Jack just put the safe, the diamond back in the safe. Yeah. But crucially, Rose doesn't actually see it happen. We cut to the cigar smoking slash ball powdering room. <laughs> Spicer Lovejoy, a.k.a. the abominable yes man, reports that no one knows where Rose is. Cal is displeased. He's like, there's a ship. We're on a ship. There's a finite number of places she could be. Go fucking find her. At the helm, the captain and a crewman comment on how flat the water is, which will make icebergs harder to see. Seven shadowing. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> The abominable yes man enters Rose's stateroom and she flees with Jack. It's big enough. There's two exits, right? So she just, they go out the other exit. He pursues them. They get into the elevator to go head down into steerage. She flips him the bird for good measure. They're running through the ship and they eventually wind up in a storage facility for all the cars that are being shipped across the Atlantic on the Titanic. Can I pause for a second here? Yeah. What is Spicer Lovejoy's motivation? Why is he chasing her through the ship? Is he supposed to grab her by the hair and drag her back to her room? Why? Why, Why? is this your job? You're a grown man. You're a grown man with a whole ass history and a family probably somewhere. Yeah. Why is this your job? And you are chasing a 17-year-old and her boyfriend through a ship for your 30-year-old boss. Yeah. Th choices, Spicer Lovejoy. Choices. Choices. So finally, they find this old jalopy, this old Model T, whatever it is. They climb into it. They start to cuddle. Jack asks Rose if she's nervous, and Rose says no. She says, put your hands on me, Jack. 
They start to make out. We cut to the crow's nest. Not a euphemism. Actually a thing. (laughs) To hear the two lookouts haven't seen the binoculars since Southampton. Eight shadowing. By the way, I Googled it. This is true. Really? Basically what happened was at Southampton, the guy who had the key for the binoculars got fired and like left the ship and took the the, the case, the key to the binocular case with him. <laughs> I don't think he wasn't meant to, like on purpose. I think he just yeah. forgot. But like, yeah, he forgot to give back the key to the binocular case. So the lookouts genuinely didn't have binoculars on the Titanic. Warning Oof. to listeners, if you start doing a deep dive and reading about the Titanic, it will bum <laughs> you out. That guy had to live with that for the rest of his life. <laughs> he found that key like a week later and was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, did I do that? <laughs> oh, I put it in the wash. I'm so sorry. Below deck in the steamiest cab carriage I've ever seen, Rose's hand orgasmically strikes the window. <laughs> We cut inside and Jack and Rose kiss and snog in the afterglow. He's shivering. Jack, you're shivering. And he goes, I'll be all right. Look, again, Paul, I'm not made of stone. <laughs> I, I will say that this, this moment, I, and, and I'm not kidding, it's, it's sweet. These like, two actors have so much chemistry. Yeah, yeah. And, and it makes it seem like Jack was also a virgin. I don't know if that was the intention, but that is what it makes it seem like. Yeah. And and I I don't it's it's very it's very you know Romeo and Juliet kind of one hundred percent with shockingly a less tragic ending for them right <laughs> for, for for those two for, widely more tragic but for those two less tragic for just these specific people <laughs> yeah uh, by the way a perfect double feature would be this movie and then Revolutionary Road mm. because then you get to see what they would look like as miserable thirty somethings <laughs> who hate each other you would find out that if Jack did get on the door the ending would have just been the Graduate. Yeah, they would have fucking hated each other and been like, you die first. No, you. I will be free of you one day. <laughs> All right, Erica, that is that is as far as we're going today. Yep, that is that is your half of the film. Uh-huh. Done. How, how did you feel getting the first half of the movie? Do you feel like you were you were given the shaft because I got the better half of the movie? I, I My genuine reaction was I felt worried because the second half of the movie so much happens. Yeah, my recap is an insane – it's like 10 pages long. <laughs> it is like – and it is just constant, constant, constant. And it's and, – and it, like there's these people we know now. So you're like, oh, this is what happens to Blarney Stone McGinnis and this is what happens to Arancini. You know, like, so you have to record all of it. <laughs> Like, my, a lot of mine was they they go to tea and Ruth is a nasty old woman. <laughs> That's basically it. Cal may have suffered under the hands of toxic masculinity. I think. I think, but you know what? I'd still smash. I'd still yeah. smash. Yeah. What can I say? The heart wants what it hurts. What it wants, people. Absolutely. So stick around. We'll be right back with our random observations on the first half of Titanic. And we're back. Erica, do you have any any random observations on the first half, only the first half of of Titanic? Of Titanic? Um, Paul, I'll never let go of my random observations. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Paul, I'm going to say your Paul, Paul, your name a lot, uh-huh. Paul, because right. that's mm-hmm. what this movie is yes, talking about, Paul. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, it's so weird hearing my name said out loud. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I love your name. 
<laughs> oh no, I love my name too. Oh. But it, doesn't it feel weird when someone just says your name? Oh at you? yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a bunch of lines that just are the t- the, the tinnest of ears wrote this script. Uh-huh. I just want to point a couple of them out. One of them is at the very beginning. Brock Lovett says to old lady Gloria Stewart, he goes, "Are you ready to go back to Titanic?" That's just not how things happen. No. That's not how people talk. That's not how words are said. He would like what? Why didn't you put the word "the" in there? Like yeah. you're standing in the spot where it went down. Yeah. she's already at Titanic. <laughs> there None is, of that is how things work. In the beginning, during his first voiceover, I was like, "Why is he talking like this?" And they actually justified it by like he's like narrating he's actually like videotaping himself as if he's making a documentary of himself and i'm like okay that's why he's like bloviating fine but then like he kept talking like that after the camera was off and i was like um (laughs) he might be a charismatic cult leader a little bit (laughs) little bit um my favorite joke in the whole movie it's a throwaway joke by that guy from the beginning that was skeptical of rose's veracity thought she was a con woman by by uh-huh. brock's right hand man you mean by philip seymour not man yeah <laughs> yes 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 exactly <laughs> uh she's a goddamn liar or publicity seeker like that russian babe anesthesia <laughs> it's so stupid and it and i shouldn't have laughed because it's so first thought i don't think i was expecting like any jokes so the fact yeah. that they even made any attempt, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's the perfect type of laugh for that joke. <laughs> like it comes out of you like a burp you weren't expecting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. Ooh, ate too much last night, I guess. <laughs> Another tin-eared line that I love is during that mother corset scene when she's like lacing her up and Rose is like, it's so unfair. And they cut to Frances Fisher. God bless her. She delivers this line. She goes, of course it's unfair. We're women. <laughs> like nails on a chalkboard. What even is subtext? <laughs> Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? <laughs> um, did you recognize who played Lizzie the granddaughter? Susie Amis. Who is yeah. AKA Mrs. James Cameron. Mrs. James Cameron, AKA the woman who James Cameron absolutely definitely did not cheat on Linda Hamilton with. <laughs> no, 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 no. There no, was no, no overlap. There in those was two no Venn diagram there. Nothing. Nothing at all. Linda Hamilton, don't worry, girl. Nope. Stay at home. That gorgeous <laughs> blonde on the film set with him. He is not doing nothing with her. He is not going to stray. You, you're fine. There is one I've shat a lot on on James Cameron as I should. Sure, he can um, take it. He's a he billionaire. Can, he can buy and sell me a million times over. Yeah, there are a couple of moments though. The shots are, are stunning. The movie is visually, like it I is. said, incredibly stunning. It is sumptuous, sumptuous. And the one that I think in this first half of the movie that really got me that I was like, wow, that's beautiful, is when they run through the engine room. So when Jack and Rose are running to get away from the Uh abominable yes man, she's wearing this like, she's actually going to wear this dress for the rest of the movie. It's like a pale blue or pale periwinkle gown Mm -hmm. or something. It's almost white. And it's very like flowy and gauzy. And so they're running through this engine room that's like, you know, it's all reds and blacks and big and heavy machinery. And she's just this like confection that's Uh running through the room with her red flowing hair. It is stunning. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. All right. So should we, do we want to do like a preliminary ranking? 
do, do we want to do we want to try to rank just so maybe just not, like what do we think where do we think we're going to wind up Ooh, that kind of okay thing? what i okay so based on just the first half of the movie definitely passes the bechdel test uh no diversity at all I'm going to give the film the benefit of the doubt and say that that's probably somewhat uh, historically accurate. I, I think that James Cameron did enough research on this that I would guess that part of it would be correct. Like he, he was pretty committed to visual accuracy. <laughs> fair. Right. Fair. Yeah. I So like you have a lot of Europeans on the ship, yeah. right? So you have who would have been considered minorities back in the day, like an Italian or a Slovak Italians probably, and the Irish. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have gotten the best treatment when they got to good old America. Nope. But, uh, but it, to our eyes today, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of Eastern European whiteies. Arancini Chianti is Razzo Rizzo's father. <laughs> Canon. <laughs> So yeah, I mean it's it's it does, but it does like paint a lot of the uh, the quote unquote ethnics in like giant broad stereotypes. Yeah. So that's not great. But also like it's not like any of the upper class people even get an inner life either. The only reason we know anything about them is because they're real people, and I did a little research. Like otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't know who any of these people are. So I don't know if that's it, just because it's fair doesn't make it right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be conservative because I, I I don't know where I'm gonna land later. I'm gonna say a six. Okay. A six out of ten. Tin whistles. My heart will go on intros. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like six ish. Like there's no gay content. That's fine, except for Lovejoy's obvious passionate love affair that he's having in his except head. Except for Cal. everything about Cal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jack is very much representing for like the soft butch. Cal's representing for the Chelsea Queen. We can see that, but <laughs> yeah, like I don't love this movie. This is not really my kind of thing. But like, it's beautiful to look at, and that. I think any savvy moviegoer going to a James Cameron film is like, I'm I'm here for what it looks like. I'm not here for the dialogue. <laughs> I'm not here for the deep characterizations. And like, no one has a deep characterization. Rose, who is by far the most developed character, it's not a deep characterization. Kate Winslet is doing a lot to make more of it, but like, yeah. it's pretty basic. So I think a six out of 10 treasure hunters... <laughs> <laughs> preliminary <laughs> preliminary to see maybe if, if the second half holds up we'll see where it goes so no pro- that that's what we're that's where that's where we're going into the second half with yeah all right so that is the end of titanic part one <laughs> uh we would like everyone listening to follow us on social media follow us on instagram follow us on twitter if twitter still exists in february uh, go to our T Public shop. Order some merch, for God's sake. We're sweating bullets over here. Give us some money. <laughs> we would love it if you would uh, leave us a five star Apple Podcast review, like Heart Jaden did uh, earlier th- earlier in this episode. If you do that, we will send you a That Age Well tote bag. And thanks for your service and kindness, uh, Erica. Any final thoughts on the first half of Titanic before we sign off? Every time Kate Winslet shows her tits, we get a five-star Apple podcast review. (laughs) That's correct. That is correct. Kate Winslet is on you now. I know you're listening. Dame Winslet. (laughs) I presume she's a dame by now. She's got to be, right? 
She's married into the Branson family. Okay. So yeah, yeah, probably, right? Every time Kate Winslet shows her tits, a kill shelter gets shut down. <laughs> <laughs> But I decided we're uh, we're already going to be so long today. I'm uh-huh. not going to. But it, they, sh- the person wrote obsessed with Erica and Paul, and you said your name first. Did I really? <laughs> well, well. <laughs> frankly, frankly, I'm glad you caught it. <laughs> you are conflict averse, and the best way to get to you is to really passive aggressively lionize myself while subtly <laughs> negging you.